Are you sure it was Eventbrite? I know. I remember. No, no, no. Expensify. Expensify. Right. Thank you. I didn't think. I didn't didn't think it was Eventbrite. I, I thought. I read this story, but I don't think it was Eventbrite at all. No, I have, I have an Expensify tab open right now. I was looking. As <laughs> always, Bed Voltage bringing you the highest quality research behind all of our what news. What were we talking about, about disinformation earlier? The, 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 hi- the highest quality libel right here on Bad Voltage. Also, stay tuned for our sister podcast, Sussing Out Stocks with Stewie. listeners and welcome to episode 16 of season three of bad voltage uh, my name is jeremy i'm joined here by uh, jano and Stuart langridge and uh this is where we are going to deep dive today into sap and the intricacies of the ERP. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we had a comment or two in the slack which which you should join by the way uh about yes the last show and it being focused on one particular product. So we're actually going to go in a much different direction in this show. We do listen. Yes. What are we going to talk about today? Yeah, we do listen, but we ignore. <laughs> uh, so we'll be doing our Oracle special next time. Um, we're going to do a load of news. Like we, um, uh, we, just, we, we do this from time to time where we just like to just dig into what's going on. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. So we're just going to... Uh, we've, we've, we actually had quite a big list of news that we've just literally whittled down because we didn't think we were going to be able to get through it. And the so, list is uh, still fairly large. I mean, it's weird. The world at the moment, news happens and then it's gone. Like 12 hours later, the news cycle's that, that fast. Is this, yeah. is, is, is this news to you? <laughs> No pun intended. I mean, no, I mean... News happens, and then it stops being news. It becomes old news. It, Maybe we should review a Kindle again. It feels... Does it not feel to you like this? Like the news cycle has shrunk? No, no you're right. I'm, I'm, no, I'm being mean to you. For sure. It, it totally has. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, and it's just a never-ending onslaught of dramatic news. I think it's shrunk on every axis, too, right? It's less in-depth. The, the time frames are quicker. It's... Yeah. It's less in every way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's often inseparable from opinion as well. So. <laughs> um, speaking of opinions, what should we start with? <laughs> what do you want to do first? Why don't I kick us off with the PlayStation recording thing? Should we talk about that maybe? Sure. Actually, um, yeah. Um, as you will all know um, uh, from a previous show that we, we did, the PlayStation 5 is coming out uh, fairly soon. And um, let me just open this so I can give you the latest. So um, Sony released a version of their firmware for the PlayStation 4 um, a little while ago um, that added a, essentially a feature where called moderation review. So when you're in a PlayStation party and you're chatting to your fellow PlayStation friends, um, essentially what will happen is the PlayStation will be recording your audio. And then if somebody says something hateful, offensive you know, you know, in, in sender in some kind of way, you can take a snippet of that audio and submit it and essentially perform a report. Now, um, a lot of people lauded this as, you know, a great step forward in terms of cracking down on hate speech and, you know, just nasty behavior uh, in gaming. And some people said that this was an infringement of their 
you know, freedom and privacy and all the rest of it. So what do you guys think about this? I think it's an interesting thing that they're doing here. I mean, from my point of view, I don't think this is a privacy thing. Um, because it's not like they're recording all the audio and automatically shipping it all to Sony, who are then going through all these voice calls. It's, as I understand it, being recorded locally on a sort of a, you know, a ring buffer, essentially. It keeps the last minute or so around, and then you can punch a button to send a report in. So it's not Sony spying on your conversations. It's you electing to send bits of your conversation to them as a report in exactly the same way you'd report a tweet or a Facebook post. Fine idea to me. <clears throat> yeah, I get the impression that from the people the people who are complaining about this, it's that they don't provide consent to their hate speech being shared with Sony. Oh, well, th- this, <laughs> this, this is the thing. I mean, there are, I know there are rules about if you record telephone calls, um, you have to tell someone that you're doing it or something. Nah, not, so it depends. If you're a two-party consent jurisdiction, then yes. So I, I, my, I, I'm guessing, based on the wording here, that their assertion is that initial agreement is you consenting to always being recording satisfies mm. that in those jurisdictions yeah i'm yeah. curious if that would hold up and, 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 i mean I, I didn't particularly mean the legal point although yes i mean there may actually be a legal point here but it's more the goal that that legal point is there to address that people don't like the idea that they're being recorded and so you have to announce it in order that people aren't caught by surprise whereas this essentially it's going yeah you get to be caught by surprise but i i it feels to me a little bit like the the rules about recording telephone calls date from a previous time yes. when mm. where, when you were kind of calling someone who mostly you knew it was two parties point to point um you weren't um you weren't in a telephone call for hours and hours and hours while playing a game um, and so it it feels to me as though the rules about recording telephone calls were built for a different environment than this right. than this is, and therefore I'm not particularly worried about the idea that this would violate such laws. What what I think is interesting about this is, <clears throat> and what I don't know about this is whether this applies to purely public games that you play around because i've never done the playstation party thing where you talk to other people on the internet so i don't know how it works but <clears throat> to me there's a difference between um, a private game and a public game right if you're as far as i'm concerned if you're in the public commons whether you're on twitter or whether you're on a, a game on face or on, on playstation then and you say something that is hateful then you should seek the conse- you should experience the consequences of doing so. Um, so if you get banned or you get your content hidden, whatever, because you're in a public space. What I'm curious about is whether you know if you've got two or three friends playing a game, and I mean just in the same way that we give each other shit when when the, when the microphone's off, we'll bust each other's chops. One person within a private setting being able to share that with Sony, that to me is different because. Uh, not that you should ever support hate speech, of course, but I just think that the, the 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 norms in that private setting are different to a public setting. And what I don't know is how this applies there. Uh, so you're saying where does the expectation of privacy begin and end? If, if there was a game legitimately with the three of us with the mics turned off, and then I rec- you said something and I forwarded it to Sony, 
it's different than if we but were realistically, in realistically, that's, that's it's not like you could stop him doing that, right? He can just hold up a microphone to his television screen. I mean, it's not like you could avoid you could, somebody. You, you could. You, you, yeah, I you mean, could, yes, but they're that making to me is... it easier to do this. And one of the big problems with um, reporting and moderation is always that the people who are doing the reports are not necessarily doing it Um with good goals in mind. So reporting is itself at all of harassment sometimes. But to but to be honest with you, um I mean I'm 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 not much of a gamer at all and I'm certainly not much of an online gamer, but the, a couple of times um uh, if you're playing open spades with people you know, then that's fine, you know, not really a problem. If you try and join one of the big um you know kind of gamer games uh, I I believe I've heard the N word enough for one lifetime. Thank you very much. I don't need it again for a bunch of fourteen-year-olds. <laughs> so yeah, and that that kind of environment seems aggressively hostile. I mean, you know, our, we, as you obviously know, and and some of our listeners know, we've got a, a young son, and he's getting into really getting into Minecraft, and we haven't allowed him to join any public games yet or anything like that. Yeah. It makes me nervous because. I've heard how some of these kids talk to each other and it's fucking horrible. I mean, it's some of the language and the it, the the bullying is horrendous. I think that Sony uh, somehow trying to deal with this is important. I just I'm curious to see how it actually pans out. Um so yeah. Interesting. What's next? Uh, yeah, I mean I think having more tools is probably a good thing in itself. Yep. Um so since we're talking about um uh, big companies and the idea of them looking at those. Did you see the Zoom thing? I did. Yeah. <laughs> this was this is interesting. I, I I should probably explain this in um a little more detail, but um there, <laughs> we've talked about it. <laughs> yeah, you, you remember the Zoom thing? Wasn't that terrible? Next topic. <laughs> no, this was this was an event at somewhere in San Francisco, uh, San Francisco State University. Sorry, um and. There was supposed to be a talk uh, by uh, Leela Khaled, who is a member of the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. Mm. Um, and that talk was cancelled by Zoom because it was in violation of the company's terms of service, which, I mean, we could go backwards and forwards on whether that's a good idea or not, whatever, but they did that. But the thing well, is- just one extra slight, slight layer on that is that th- this popular—I'd never heard of them—the Popular Front of the Liberation of Palestine um, have been marked as a terrorist group they're, by they're the a, US. They're a designated terror organization. A designated yes. terrorist organization. Yes. And Leela was involved in a hijacking, but I don't know what yes. happened back in the seventies or something like that. But yes. anyway, carry on. Absolutely. So, so they, there's a whole discussion about whether that was a legitimate thing to do, and I think that's yeah. a val- that's a reasonable topic of discussion. But that's not what we're discussing today. What, no. What yeah. there then was was another incident, uh, another event, talking <clears throat> about. The fact that it was cancelled. So having that discussion we were just mentioned. And then Zoom also refused to let that one happen. And as far as anyone could tell, it's basically because they might have been criticizing Zoom. Right? So I think there's a I think there's a legitimate discussion to be had about whether Zoom should um uh have cancelled that meeting or not, and there's uh politics on both sides of that, and there's a reasonable discussion about it. But Zoom don't want discussions like that to be had on Zoom because they might be critical <clears throat> of Zoom. 
as far it as seems I like can there's tell. a Streisand effect waiting to happen. Uh, there. Yeah, I, I, I mean, and that's the thing you'd think. <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and this is kind of recursive now. If someone now has an event talking about the fact that Zoom cancel events, talking about Zoom censorship, does Zoom cancel that one as well? Do you just sort of bounce in between Zoom and Google Hangouts? I don't so the, the thing that I don't like here is people keep claiming this is a free speech issue. And, and while I'm a well-known, humongous advocate for free speech, yes. there's a difference between a government censoring an event and a company, private company yes. doing so. And that we people keep conflating these two things drives me a little bit bonkers. Yeah, but I, I, I noticed the same thing. I think yeah. getting to the actual issue, right? Objectively, there there's private spaces and there's public spaces. And I think those two things are well understood. What's a little bit blurred these days with technology is I would say objectively, this is a, a probably considered a private space because the company owns the medium, but users think about them as a public space because they're facilitating what a public space in many ways used yeah. to facilitate in, in, in real life. As far as, so as far as they're concerned, this is exactly the same thing as everyone being in a room talking about this with some speakers on stage. You just happen to be geographically remote while you're doing it. The technology is just like air in between you and the speaker. It doesn't. It it doesn't make it a private space. I mean, in my opinion, I think, as as Jeremy says, I I agree. And on, on that note, um, so Zoom responded and said, Zoom is committed to supporting the open exchange of ideas and conversations, and does not have any policy preventing users from criticizing Zoom. Now they were always going to come out with something like that. What I found interesting in this article, um, about this about this news item was that someone called Adam Said, um, who's a student at the University of Leeds, um, was quoted in saying, it cannot be a unilateral decision saying you violated our terms of use. They have to prove that. We have the right to contest this and present our case. And what I found they interesting don't, about that you quote don't. is, you absolutely yeah. don't have to prove that. And we've talked about this in the past about like the role of social media as, you know, whether they're utilities and how they're kind of perceived by their users. This is another example of that springing up, I think. And this is where I think the conversation to me gets interesting is there's a a real danger, I think, to making these platforms a true public space, because then it would be controlled by the government. And then the question is, whose government and under what terms and how does that, because there would be public international spaces, there would really be no ruling body. So it, it gets really complicated really quickly. So it's it's messy, and I think people want to oversimplify it. And if we want to solve this as, as a society really moving forward, it, it's going to take some legislation that is probably unprecedented and takes a new look at, at – like, I think we're getting to the point where a lot of these old laws – addressed a world that in many ways just doesn't exist now. And we're trying to fit those laws into the new paradigm in a way that's uncomfortable. Uh, so whether that means are some of these companies, be it social media, be it communication platforms, going to be forced into like a common carrier status, like the old wave of technology companies were? Or is there something better? Because that comes with a bunch of cons as well. But to me, like something clearly has to be done, and I just don't have a good answer or even idea as to as to what that is. I I think that's a really interesting way to look at it. Is there some kind of new concept entirely that he's bringing up? Because as you say, they're neither public spaces nor private. These um, organisations are yes, on the one hand, 
do you necessarily want these things to be regulated by the government? Maybe not. But on the other hand, part of the reason that government regulation is occasionally onerous is because there are a bunch of rules about how it should work. Whereas Zoom just went, this violates one of our terms of service. We don't have to tell you which one, and we're not going to. We just shut it down, and there is nothing you can do about it. There is no right of appeal. There is no right to even have it explained. They can just do what they like. And taken from one point of view, it's their service. They built it. They're entitled to do what they like with it. Yeah, okay. But part of the reason that a lot of rules exist around you having a right to appeal, that you can understand what you're being accused of, is precisely because it's terribly easy to use the rules to oppress certain people and not others if you don't have to explain the rules. You know, it's it's got me thinking that when we've talked about kind of the impact of big companies we've, we've often often talked about it within a, within an antitrust setting right so there was the new story recently which we don't have in our list about google being broken up <laughs> yeah, because that's um, not a news story it's either a right. whole show or it's possibly a fundamental impact on the technology industry for the next decade yeah. this is not something we can do within two minutes <laughs> it's on the list though it's coming up <laughs> believe me and when we when we talk about antitrust it's it's often within the context of, you know, unfair competition. But I think what's interesting about these cases with when we've talked about social media companies, but now Zoom, is where you have, Zoom's a good example of this, you know, when the pandemic hit, for whatever reason, the world basically decided that Zoom was where we were going to connect, right? It's by far the most popular, like people who were unfamiliar with video conferencing, they heard of Zoom, and that was the thing that they could think of when it came to video conferencing. So now they're They've gone from being a, a, a reasonable sized company to being probably a smallish company in the scheme of things, but with a massive impact on society in terms of what's normal. And that has and that, and that resonates with schools. Like most of the schools that I've that I know people who've got kids in school, it's the same with with Jack's school. They're all using Zoom, and it does seem like there there is a balance here between the and this is not antitrust. This is just something to do with like the. The responsibility of it. Here they're all using Microsoft Teams, but really, yeah. a lot of Google Classroom too. Uh, but 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 I completely agree huh. with your point that they are having an outsized impact on society as a whole. It's just, um, we keep talk, we keep coming back to this point about having a uh, you're acting as a de facto utility, yep. but without any of the constraints that apply on this. At which point. This is like the thing about how um, uh, newspapers are there to print as many of their editors' prejudices as they can get away with, <laughs> and and to some <laughs> and, and um, speaking as a guy who lives some considerable distance from it, I'm not sure I want all my communication mediated by a bunch of people from San Francisco, <laughs> and and this seems like a similar kind of vibe, you know? It's I, I think one of the People have been feeling this impact the most are universities, right? Because universities are typically a place where there's a lot of speech that happens about a lot of things, and some of it's philosophical, but it, it, it runs the gamut on opinions. And with most universities going to Zoom now, if they can arbitrarily sh effectively shut down classrooms, there's a real impact there in a way that if everyone was just on campus, it's you're in a room. It's a it's a different space. So I'm curious to see where where that will head and how it will impact university. Like, will it impact universities' procurement decisions? Cases like this. Yeah, that's a good point because there was already. Do you remember all, especially when you had some of these like provocateurs springing up, like 
you know, Milo Yiannopoulos and Jordan Peterson going to universities. And there was that kind of debate about whether some universities were not having them speak. It's now seems to be coming into the virtual domain. But what do you guys think about, I'm curious what you think, because I think we'd all agree that having governments restricting companies too much can, as Jeremy mentioned, can bring all kinds of questions. What government and which, what, how do the rules vary in different parts of the world? Presuming that a government is not going to be arbitrarily restricting a company like Zoom, but we identify that there needs to be some kind of responsibility to society. What do you think can happen? Like, is, is there even an option here? Because the only option that we people t- seem to talk about is some kind of legal like in the in the antitrust set and the government steps in. But, you know, we haven't got to it yet, but talking about Facebook and putting together their, you know, their quote-unquote Supreme Court of of people to oversee content on their platform is one approach that they're taking. But I wonder whether this is going to be become a potentially a trend with these companies where they have some kind of external oversight. Like we have an open source projects, right? We've got technical steering committees and governance boards that help o- open source projects. I wonder whether we're going to start seeing something like that for companies like Zoom. For open source projects, it's all um, self-regulation. And Mm. a lot of industries tend to work the same way, adopt some kind of self-regulation, basically because they don't want non-self-regulation. And so if they can say, no, no, we're doing this ourselves, you don't need to write laws about us, we promise we'll do it. But the tech industry Mm. hasn't done that yet. And I think... The tech industry, and and particularly big players in the tech industry, um, have a disproportionately large effect on the way the world works. I mean, even if you're... I mean, Zoom is not as big as, I don't know, General Motors. Say, right? Yeah. But how much effect can General Motors have on the way the world works? Because if they try... Because a lot of the stuff that they would attempt to do is already regulated. Like if General Motors decided they were going to make cars which only ran on General Motors petrol, hmm. only ran on General Motors gasoline, right? they wouldn't be allowed to. But Zoom could quite happily say... Right. Yeah, they would. I don't believe they would. I mean, they wouldn't sell a lot of cars, but, <laughs> but they, they could do that. There's nothing legally stopping them making a car that runs on their own gasoline. Oh, you you do realize that Zoom's market cap is three times more than General Motors, right? I did not realize that. Um, <laughs> Ast- astonishingly, I did not know that. <laughs> However, um, also, I'm prepared to bet a pound that you didn't know it either and just looked it up. But... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so I, I was guessing it was way bigger. I did look up the specifics. It is almost exactly a third. I, 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 I didn't think. I mean, General Motors own things. Zoom have basically got an idea. If they stop being trendy tomorrow, they're, they're not worth dollar one. Oh, um, come so, on. But that is a, that's a pretty gross oversimplification of Zoom. I, I don't agree with you. Um, do you think their product is fundamentally better than now than it was 18 months ago? It's probably better yes. at handling load, don't get me wrong. <laughs> um, no, it's it's it, it's I think it's a lot better. I I, I think it's also the best product in their class. Yes. It's it, better than blue jeans, it's oh, better yeah, than yeah, Google. Yeah. It's Google Meet is like Yeah, yeah, don't, I don't even want to yeah, no, get no, no, into no. that. I, I I completely understand that. Um, they are the, they are the best in their class, and that's one of the big reasons I think why they became popular because they are actually better than everybody else. But I don't. But I think they were better than everybody else 
18 months ago, and then they weren't three times as big as General Motors, and nothing's actually changed about the stuff they own. It's just because everyone's using them. It's because they're yeah. trendy at the moment. But that doesn't mean that they don't have any value. You were insinuating that if they stopped being trendy, they wouldn't have any value. And I don't believe that's the case. I think they had value before they were trendy. And, and GM owns things, but they, they are an old company with little growth prospects that still yeah. somehow manages to lose money, which is usually those older companies, they don't have great growth potential, <laughs> but they make money. GM doesn't even make money. They lose money. What I think is interesting is, um, do you think if everyone stopped using Zoom tomorrow, say, I mean, take the thing where um, they snuck stuff onto uh, everybody's Macs, um, and that and that was a nine-day wonder in the press. But imagine that had caused the seesaw tip and everybody stopped using it. Would they still be worth three times what GM are? All their value is because they're popular. That's not. I'm not saying that's value. No, well, hang on a second. But first of all, that's a hypothetical, like, and and it's a, it's an unrealistic hypothetical. They're not going to have they they're probably going to lose. They're probably going to have a certain amount of attrition over the years as more competition steps up and all the rest of it. But I think even before, even before they became incredibly popular because of coronavirus, they, they were still probably a pretty profitable company, doing very very well. I'm guessing. Because they built a product that's fairly priced and people liked using it, right? So I think even if they lose all of the additional growth that they've received recently, they'll still be a good business that offers a lot of value to the world. I don't think they're, put it this way, I don't think that the only reason why they're being successful is because they're popular. I think there are some things that become popular that, that their popularity is the value that they bring, right? You know, it, this is going to sound enormously unfair, but you could you could potentially say that about, for example, Instagram influencers like Kim Kardashian, whatever else, is that the reason why their 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 popularity is their special source, right? Yeah. And that enables them to do whatever they, you know, endorse products and whatever else. But I think Zoom Fa- had some famous for that. being famous, famous for being famous. You know, yeah. I will say we outlined these news items with a fairly narrow scope, and this was. <laughs> hey, outside of what I thought we were talking about. Still interesting. <laughs> about. It, yeah, it I mean, is. Exactly. Um, and we could talk about this topic um, a bunch, but we have, we, have, <laughs> we have talked about this topic a bunch. And I, I think working out how large tech companies with outsized influence fit into the new world or how the new world fits into them is one of the defining challenges of the next 10 years. So this topic you know, is not going away. And, and yeah, and and there is so much to talk about, and I know we need to get into our other news, but I just, just something jumped to mind right now, and I haven't done my research into this at all. But what I think is interesting here is the leaders of these companies, like Zoom, will have so much influence, and they are, by definition, they're unelected leaders in a traditional government sense right they're not elected by a populace they're elected by you know their board and whatever else or you know and their customers to run the company but they have so much influence and the big question is what is the social norms around that influence so i i I, again i haven't checked into this but i read something about the ceo of eventbrite for example sent messages to all of their customers encouraging people to vote for joe biden um and a lot of companies use Eventbrite um, um, for their like customer expenses and whatever else, and consequently, those people got this email, and that then begs the question: 
Like, if it's a private company, you can arguably do that if you want to. You, Are you sure it was nothing... Eventbrite? I know. I remember. No, no, no. Expensify. Expensify. Right. They <laughs> <think> <laughs> I didn't, think, on, I, didn't, I didn't think it was Eventbrite. I, I, I have an Eventbrite. I, I read this story, but I don't think it was Eventbrite at all. No, I have, I have an Expensify tab open right now. I was looking. <laughs> As always, Sorry. Bed Voltage bringing you the highest quality research behind all of our what news. What were we talking about, about disinformation earlier? The, 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 the highest quality libel right here on Bad Voltage. So who was so, it? it also, was ex- also, stay tuned for our sister podcast, Sussing Out Stocks with Stewie. <laughs> should be a thing now it no. should be it really should be a thing so the ceo of of um Expensify sent, right Thank sent you. it to that they've got 10 million customers yeah. encouraging them to vote to, for biden not trump now what i think is interesting i don't want necessarily we don't need to get into that but is they have a level of influence right that's being able to send a message to 10 million people right and that then begs the question is that okay like for a public company is it different to a private company for example because there's nothing stopping you having a political opinion, but what is the influence that you and have? You what, know, one of the things I think is really interesting about that is I feel like the sort of people who who do not like the fact that Expensify did that, and the sort of people who think that Zoom should be able to shut down meetings whenever they want are completely disjoint sets. Mm. Like I don't think anyone disagrees with both of them. <laughs> people, people um, are. are um, as far as mm. I can tell, are that expensive I think is terrible. You shouldn't be able to do that. That's terrible influence. But then you say, well, what about Zoom shutting down things or Facebook controlling yeah. the public discourse? And it's mostly, yeah, that's okay, though, because it's their company. They're not the government. They can do what they like. They earn the right to do it that because they've got the yeah. money. And it feels disingenuous as an argument to me. Isn't hypocrisy fun? <laughs> <laughs> it's fun to do. It's not particularly fun to watch. <laughs> that's, that's a, that might be one of the most what that's a, possibly one of the greatest most wise things i've ever heard anyway <laughs> yeah. yeah there's a lot wrapped up in this i'd love to hear there from is. the bad voltage community just about this one specifically because there's yeah. so many interesting angles to this this topic so well one of the other things um uh that that segues into then is quibby or quibby or however you pronounce it or anything but i quibby. don't I don't understand this. I didn't understand it when it got created. I didn't understand it when it was trying to run. And I don't understand the fact that it shut down. So someone explain it to me. (laughs) There is a lot to unpack here. This could have been an entire show, in my opinion. So I'll I'll read one paragraph from, what is this, the information article, and then we can... We can discuss. Uh, Jeffrey Kattenberg's video streaming service Quibi is shutting down, said a person familiar with the situation, bringing down the curtain on the short-form video streaming service just six months after it launched. The closure is a stunning end to Kattenberg's hopes of creating a new category of video entertainment, short programs of a few minutes in length that could be watched on the go. So for those of you not familiar with Quibi, they were meant to be roughly 10 minutes, and they were going to do them as professional, well-cut series. And to give you an idea of, of just how spectacular and, and almost unbelievable this failure was, they raised over $2 billion in the end, I think. They're giving some of what? it back. So the final loss, I believe, they put at $1.75 billion. Yeah. 
they, their investors, and a lot of these were roundabout investments where these companies would give them money with the understanding that they would have their content bought as part of the process. But legitimately unprecedented, I think, in that it was Disney, 21st Century Fox, NBC Universal, Sony Pictures, Time Warner, Viacom, E1, Lionsgate, MGM, Alibaba, ITV. Like the amount of content from a these companies never are on the same platform perspective yeah. is astonishing. That and is amazing. Katzenberg yeah. is a legend. You think when he was at Disney, they did things like Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, The Lion King. Then he went and started a small company that ended up doing things like, you know, Shrek. So it's yeah. <laughs> his bona fides are, let's go with substantial. <laughs> where, where I think this was just obviously going to fail from the beginning. And just to follow up on the numbers one second, they spent roughly a billion dollars in cash commissioning 8,500 episodes over 175 shows. To me, why Quibi failed is they just didn't understand their audience. And it's like if you took a couple of fairly older folks and asked them what the millennials want, they came up with Quibi. And it's you look at their <laughs> office was like the quintessential Hollywood office. They they estimated that they were paying $100,000 a minute for content, and they said that in a way that was bragging, not in a way that was like a, a oh cash Oh my brand. God, I just made a sick in my mouth with that one. <laughs> and it's they, they failed to pivot. So it was mobile only, not mobile first. So you could not watch this anywhere on the desktop or anywhere that wasn't a phone. They, they made a big deal out of it being landscape uh, portrait versus landscape, which I think they assumed TikTok was popular, so, so they should do the same thing. I'm not, I'm not sure. But you're in a pandemic, so you think if nothing else, we would pivot to mobile first and allow you to watch it on a desktop, right? They didn't do that. I think yeah. what they also failed to realize, TikTok, super popular, all user-generated content, only like a minute long usually, right? And it's super viral because you can, you can go to TikTok.com and just watch anything. You can send people links. It just works. This, you couldn't send people links because you needed the app installed, and yeah. it just things couldn't go viral and they were expensive. They were a weird middle ground of length that like 10 minutes is long enough and they're not skippable. So 10 minutes is long enough that it's a commitment, but not long enough that you get in depth. It just, it's a failure on so many levels that, like I said, I, I could talk about this one for, for hours. <laughs> the, the other two parts of, of the, I really liked was someone asked Meg Whitman, like you're, you're launching this humongous show. She was a CEO to be clear. What kind yeah. of entertainment and shows do you watch? Her quote was, and this is a direct quote, I'm not sure I'd really classify myself as an entertainment enthusiast. When pressed, she <laughs> said, if I had to pick a show, it would be Grant on the History Channel. It's about President Grant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I I agree with you. It's got that, you know that picture of um, uh, Steve Buscemi? Uh, dressed up as a kid with the "How's it going, fellow kids?" kind of thing. <laughs> it did have that very that sort of vibe about it. That a bunch of entertainment people going, well, we need to cut into this YouTube TikTok kind of vibe, and fundamentally not understanding it. Now, a hundred thousand dollars a minute is not that much. I mean, if you think about it, that for this, it so the the thing is, you have to remember what they're in effect launching is something sort of akin to to Netflix, right? So they yeah. wanted to charge you four ninety nine with ads, seven ninety nine without ads. Yeah. It would be like if Netflix launched from day one with only Netflix Studio content and nothing else. So they had to pay production costs and live with production schedules yeah. for a hundred percent of their catalog. 
But they, but the point is that they won't do that because they had a bunch of other people on board. Like everyone in the entertainment industry was on board. They weren't just launching with Quibi Originals. They had Disney on board and Viacom and Lionsgate and you know everything I saw though was not content from elsewhere put into Quibi. It was made for Quibi. Yeah, those studios were creating the content, but it's original content, right? Yeah, but it was made for Quibi by studios. Yeah, n- right. But what I'm saying is Netflix was able to launch with a very broad, very wide catalog of existing content. So there was a huge base. If you're starting from scratch, you can't have super high production quality and uh, and charge for it and be pu- and not make a way for it to go viral. Like uh, something has to give in that equation. So you can have UGC in there, which is free for you. You have to host it. There's bandwidth charges. But you can't pay for everything from the beginning and launch and charge. Because there won't be enough value there to charge and You for. see, but on that particular point, I have literally zero sympathy. Because, yeah, there's a high barrier to entry to getting into running this kind of thing. Now you big, rich companies know how the rest of us feel when we go, you know, maybe we should build our own web browser or something. You can't because there's too high a barrier to entry now. There's a few big players who've got the money and no one else can do that. And this to me seems like a similar thing. If you if you say, well, I want to set up something like Quibi, you can't do it. You you could with a sound business model and a, a, a methodology. Yeah, I, I think you could do it. I think their business model was shit. So I think the idea is actually not that bad. The interesting thing too about the, they had a whole bunch of A talent, as they would say, but yeah. it was definitely their B material. It was kind of a, the mindset, from what I could tell, and one person actually was on the record as saying something similar, is first you pitch to either Netflix or a movie studio or HBO, and if you get a bunch of no's in a row, eh, give it to Quibi. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ringing endorsement right there. <laughs> well, but, but, but then they know, right? I mean, why would you ever go with the new player in town? Because they by def- they got a chicken and egg problem, right? No good content, so no viewers. No viewers, so no good content. Yeah, but they're not just new. Look at that laundry list of people behind them. Look at the the people running it. I would say that they they are new, but they're new in the same way that, you know, you get these like people who've been legends in tech set up startups and they become incredibly successful. And people invest in them and people go to them and work for them because of that heritage and and that background. Like But I, I get what you're saying. But that's I, why I don't understand why it didn't work. I mean, yeah, I'll grant you the viral point, but virality is only important if you've got the sort of thing that wants to go viral. If you're sitting down watching a television program, you're not expecting to be able to send people links to it, right? I mean, yeah, yeah, little snippets that you embed in a tweet which are amusing, which is which TikTok is very good at. Yeah, but that's not what Quibi was building. They were building 10-minute actual TV programs with proper production values filmed on proper cameras with, with a production staff. They, they they were TV episodes that just happened to be 10 minutes long, which is why I think $100,000 a minute is nothing. I mean, if you think about it, right, that's uh, $3 million per episode for a 30-minute episode. And friends were paying the six stars of friends a million dollars an episode 30 years ago. So, so that's that's not that much money for actual television. In a bubble, but hundred thousand dollars a minute for professionally produced content from yeah. A-listers is, not, I would agree with you, not high. It, it's a tough sell for what this was. I, I, I think. But but, I, I, but that's the thing. I don't understand. Yeah. This this is why it confuses me because I don't get whether they were trying to make 
TikTok but with better cameras, or whether they were trying to make Netflix but with shorter TV programs, or the BBC but with shorter TV programs. I don't think they knew either. Yes, so I think they're that exa- you've just summed it up in in two sentences. Yes, I mean, uh, yeah, I uh, my take on this is, I just I think they hilariously misjudge what their audience actually wants. What's interesting to me is um, when you look into because I, I just looked into this about three or four weeks ago. I was looking into um, video length, and for example, it's you know people often talk about videos and social media should be less than three or four minutes because. Social media is very transitory. You're in the middle of doing something else, right? And then so if you if you stumble on a video, you might not have the time to watch something that's longer than a couple of minutes. So people don't watch long videos in social media. However, on YouTube, there's plenty of data out there about this. The general recommendation is video should be longer than 10 minutes because YouTube rewards watch time. And consistently, videos that are longer than 10 minutes actually get higher watch time because uh, people actually want that length of content. Because if you go to YouTube, generally you go in there to watch video. And this is what I don't understand about Quibi as well, is I just don't think for high production value TV shows, because I didn't see a lot about Quibi other than I got a ton of YouTube ads on, on the videos They spent that a I lot watched. on advertising. In it, around April, it was. Yeah, and it was um, it was one of the women from Game of Thrones. She was on something, something to do with an airplane. I forget what it was. And it was like properly produced. It looked like a drama. And the first thing I thought was like, I don't want to watch fucking 10 minute chunks of drama. <laughs> I want to watch an actual show. And shorter content works to a degree, like Jerry Seinfeld has done it with Comedians in Cars, but that's 18 minutes long. TED Talks are 18 minutes long. This is what I don't understand. There's lots of data out there that suggests that people don't want 10 minute or shorter pieces they, of they content. They want five or producer. 15 plus, you're saying? 10 is right. yeah. uniquely bad. Almost. There, yeah. there, there, there's right. some kind of, you know, like the Uncanny Valley. There's a bit where it's, you know, neither, neither fish nor fowl. It's too long to be useful. Too long to be short, too short you, to be long. Yeah, yeah. It's, you, right. it, it's, it's too long to be a short snippet that you can pick up while you're doing something else. And it's, or it's too long to be that. And it's too short to actually get your teeth into and be a TV program. Yeah. And the, the, the other angle that. It's like, it's like confounds- buying a 10 and a half inch pizza. Who would do that? <laughs> <laughs> the other thing that confounds me here as well is that arguably, I mean, yet they're competing with Netflix, but they're also competing with YouTube, right? And with Netflix, that's all like people people don't go to Netflix. We've talked about this previously. People don't go to watch to Netflix to watch Netflix. They go to Netflix to watch the shows they care about. Like I'm rewatching Dexter right now on Netflix. I don't care that it's on Netflix. <laughs> if it was on Hulu or Amazon, whatever, it doesn't matter. But people go to YouTube because they like the creators that they like, and they and there's such a diversity of content in YouTube. From what I understand with Quibi, they weren't focusing on the creator market as well. They weren't seeking to enable people to go and become Quibi creators in the same way that you've got YouTube creators. I just don't understand. It's just ludicrous. Well, no, but that's because they were doing deals with um, Lionsgate and Lionsgate. Disney and whatever. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they, they had no intention whatsoever of enabling community produced content uh, in the same so. way that HBO don't do that either right right it's yeah do you think do you think that quibby is going to be like oh you don't want to do a quibby <laughs> I, I think it, it may very well turn into the pets.com of, of this it's, cycle yeah it's google wave for 2020 and uh, there is um on a related subject which is not on our list and i just thought it was interesting so uh, i'd be interested mm. in your thoughts um tiktok getting popular 
I read a thing that said it was interesting because this is going to be the first time for Americans that one of the major tech players that they're spending a lot of time on and uh, uh, working with and viewing content from and everything is not American. And how's that going to change things? And I went, huh, I hadn't thought that. And then I didn't really have any thoughts about it. What would it change? I, I I don't know. This is the question. Maybe the answer is and nothing And wasn't at all. Skype popular and not American? I, I grant an American company eventually bought it, but Minecraft. Um, I I th- I th- I think the pitch was more Microsoft by Microsoft. Um, yeah, but it was created now, by Notch, who's it was Danish or something, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? And, where is he from? And Spotify or somewhere else, and so on. Yeah. So, but I think the point was more sort of a social network. So, um, it's uh. It's but they're ex- partially they're not explicitly not a social network. You can't like the way it works is it's not built around friends yeah, or feeds no, 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 or no, 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 no. okay. Um, I thought it was an interesting point, and I didn't have any particular thoughts on it. And I and I wondered yeah. if you did. I mean, maybe the answer is it doesn't make any difference. Who cares where the company comes from? It doesn't actually affect anything. I and mean, I've never heard correct. someone say I won't use Spotify because they're Swedish. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not sure if it's going to have much of an impact I might, outside might, Maybe of, it doesn't. But I think where it is different with TikTok, of course, is even if the reality is, you know, the, do you remember when we talked about um, the the privacy of information and the influence of censorship, they were claiming that this, the US company runs it and that the none of that funnels back to the Chinese government, even no, if that's I, true. I think it was Grant Cayman, but yeah. Right, (laughs) they're not a Chinese company. They're a Grand Cayman company. Even even if that's true, like the the perception is much the same way that I assume uh, three quarters of the um, big San Francisco tech firms are actually technically Delaware tech firms, or something. Almost, almost certainly. (laughs) (laughs) Well, since we're talking about all of um, YouTube uh, censorship. the impact, well, fun the, stuff. The, the impact of big <laughs> organizations on um, the public discourse and so on. We should talk about YouTube DL, in my opinion. Let's do uh, it. Did, did you see this? Um, so YouTube DL, um, for uh, those of you listening to this who don't know about it, is a uh, a command line tool which allows you to download YouTube videos, which YouTube mm. do not allow and never have allowed. Um, Vimeo, Dailymotion, whatever, do allow you to download some videos. YouTube, as far as I can tell, I've never, ever allowed it on any videos. YouTube DL does it anyway. Um, and, and so there have been people who have complained that it is a tool used for infringement, and those people have a point, because that's what a lot of people do use it for. Um, yeah. But what happened this week is that um, YouTube DL is hosted on GitHub, and GitHub received a DMCA notification from the uh, Recording Industry Association of America, saying uh, you have to take, you have to take this down because it's a tool of infringement. Um, YouTube DL did not help their case here by having some of the examples they give of how to use it be how to download copyrighted songs from YouTube. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, and this, to some extent, dovetails into. Uh, previous discussions we've had and that everyone else has had about whether tools which can be used for infringement are infringement tools. 
in the same way that things like BitTorrent clients are. But what I thought was interesting is the RIA did this under the DMCA, which, and it seems like a slightly suspect use of the DMCA, to be honest with you. I mean, I don't think anyone would dispute that the way the law is currently written, the RIA could say, you're hosting a bunch of our copyrighted music, you have to take it down, here's a DMCA notice. But this is sending github a thing saying you're hosting a tool which people can use to download our copyrighted content among other things you have to take it down and then github took it down so there seems to me to be quite a lot to talk about here should github have refused to do that should the RIA be able to do this is it actually going to make any difference because of the Streisand effect thing we mentioned earlier right I mean, i'm sure there are a million other git repositories of it already someone actually um made a pull request to the RIA's or GitHub's DMCA repository of all the YouTube source code. So now all the YouTube DL source code is is in the Git pull request commit history for <laughs> GitHub's own DMCA thing. This is like <laughs> do you remember when the DCSS um keys uh, oh, for, I was thinking for, about this the other day for decrypting wow. DVDs. People came were printing them on T-shirts and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. In, in the corner of PNGs that you posted on Friends Reunited or whatever. <laughs> 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 wow, Friends Reunited. So that's a summary of what's gone on. What did GitHub give a reason why they took it down? Uh, I, I believe the reason was just DMCA request. Yeah, we got we got. So they DMCA. just said in it's response the generic, to this DMCA. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they, they, they because they publish all the stuff they've taken down because of DMCA requests, and this was one of them. Right. I do not know what the policy is, whether if you send uh, how plausible they have to deem a DMCA request before they act on it. I mean, presumably I can't get, I don't know, Visual Studio Code taken off of GitHub just by sending a thing saying, under the DMCA, take it down. And GitHub go, okay. <laughs> I don't think that's the plan. So yeah, because it, it is that kind of murky water, isn't it, between a DMC a DMCA request and what I don't know about GitHub is if YouTube DL is a piece of software that is quite intentionally violating the terms and conditions of you of YouTube a service. So you've got a piece of software that violates the terms and conditions of something else. What I don't know is whether that breaks GitHub's terms and conditions for code on GitHub. Maybe that was the reason why it was taken down. I don't know. I, I, I think YouTube have a reasonable argument to make. I mean, yes, it, it, in order to argue about whether YouTube can complain about this, you get into the is stealing, is piracy, theft, and whatever argument, which we're not interested in having, I don't think. Um, no. But regardless of that, it's YouTube's thing to complain about. Not the RIAs, I think. So I, I was under the impression, and it's difficult to tell now because the site's gone, but that the it wasn't that YouTube DL, like a, a browser can be used, obviously, to download material that is not legal. It was not yeah. that you could download things that were breaking RIA's policy, what, what the RIA would like. It's that they explicitly used in their test cases copyrighted material and therefore as an example they they were making an example of it as a matter of course right yes oh, so, so in I their see. documentation they gave you know here are ways to use youtube dl here are example command lines or whatever and a bunch of them were specifically downloading copyrighted music from youtube which was a stupid thing for the youtube dl i think youtube to do. dl people just like 
are they just taking the piss out? Like, well, why would they do that? Well, there you go. Why not put their own videos? It seems ripe for complaint. Yes. Yeah, like, why wouldn't they put their own videos on YouTube and point to how to download those videos? So they also do have, it's like YouTube DL test video. That, that So they also, yeah. in some yes. cases, do use that one. Yeah. But equally, I do not believe for one tiny moment that if the YouTube if YouTube deal go, okay, we've taken all that stuff out of our VB now, um, that the RIA are going to go, okay, you're not using that as an example, so put it back up. So it can't just be that. I mean, yeah, that exacerbated the thing. But quoting um, the takedown order, it said, the clear purpose of this source code is to circumvent the technological protection measures author- used by authorized streaming services, such as YouTube. True. And mm. reproduce and distribute music videos and sound recordings owned by our member companies without authorization for such use. Partially true. It is true. Um, that's that's like saying if I um, make a, if I make a music video and put it on YouTube, I'm not approving somebody to rip it off the internet and distribute it themselves. I agree with you, but that's not the only thing that it's for, right? The clear pur- the, the clear the clear purpose of this knife is to cut things true and to stab people right my point is is that their their statement (laughs) their statement from the raaa was true about their content your point is you can still use the tool for other things as well which i agree that that's all it's for which it is does it though i didn't sound like it to me it said that it could be used for that so i guess my question there is do you think do you think this is a valid takedown request no Oh, I thought you were starting to couch toward yes. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm just what I'm curious about is is on what legal ground they've got. Jeremy, you gave the perfect example. You can use a web browser to download legal content. Why yeah. are they going after Chrome? Yeah, like it's a dumb request as far as I'm concerned. But also YouTube DL. Come on, people, <laughs> don't point to copyrighted material. I, I know. <laughs> I mean, to me, it, it feels a bit iffy. You know, going to bat to defend them if you if. You know, it's hard to make the case that, uh, yeah, this software isn't designed for infringement if half your examples are this is how you do infringe. Yeah. Do you think this will impact any similar open source projects using GitHub as the main repository? Good question. I mean... (sighs) GitHub, I think... I think anyone who would see this incident alone as being a reason to bail on GitHub has already bailed on GitHub. Yeah, I think I can't, right. I, the, the, I can't imagine a, a picture in my head of someone saying, this one thing is totally unreasonable that GitHub have taken the side of some big industry organization and suppressed open source code, which just happens to have contributory infringement uses, and not imagine that person a year ago going, Microsoft have bought GitHub, it's the end of GitHub, and setting up their own private GitLab. So, and it's not like there's an ongoing sequence of things like this happening. This is, yeah. This well, I was just, I was just thinking just now as well. Th- this is just my viewpoint, but ethically, um, it's weird to me that there's code on GitHub that violates published terms and conditions within a, within a service. So you could take an argument of. 
GitHub shouldn't allow those kinds of repositories on GitHub because they're in violation of of something, right? However, the opposite view, well, there's two opposite viewpoints. Another opposite viewpoint is it depends on what you're violating, could be one argument, because then you get into people getting their code running on Xboxes and stuff like that, which is a whole separate area of technology, which we've talked about a lot in the past. But I would I would like to download my tweets and Twitter ones, make it difficult, so I write a screen right, scraper. right. right. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. But then the other question is just whether that's even feasible. I mean, you know, I, I think that's can GitHub inter- even know that? That's like, the more interesting point. I mean, GitHub could, in theory, employ an army of people to go through every GitHub repository as it's uploaded and check that it's not being used for this kind of infringement. But because they're not going to, if you have a policy of enforcement, but it's only selectively enforced, then yeah. it's basically only used against people you don't like. Right. Alph- Alphabet actively looks for YouTube DL things and actively tries to get them taken down. Really? So I, I get, I-, I I run a site that gets a fair amount of traffic that allows people to post arbitrary content. Sometimes that content <laughs> contains YouTube DL. I also happen to have that content monetized by Google AdSense. I. Mm fairly regularly get an email and clearly automated email saying that my account will be demonetized and shut off if i do not remove specific content and one of those one of the most common triggers is youtube dl links I, really i think wow, i think that's interesting if google had contacted github and said take this code down i'd have gone yeah okay let's see i mean obviously really you know, <sighs> Interesting. Do you think it should be taken down? Like, do you think the project should be should stay down? Is part of I'm I'm on the fence about this, um, because on the one hand, yeah, it's it's very much like BitTorrent in that yes, there are a bunch of non-infringing, really important uses, but pretty much everyone who defends it on that basis seems to imply that what most people use BitTorrent for is downloading copies of Big Buck Bunny and Linux ISOs, and it's not the truth. (laughs) (laughs) And, And YouTube DL, the impression I have is the same. Right. Yes, there are people who are using it for format shifting. And yes, that is an important use. And yes, the fact that a thing could be abused is not an argument against any use of it. But equally, especially with the stupid read me with the examples of it, if you sell a knife and say this knife could be used for stabbing and then the label on the knife you sell has a picture of you stabbing yeah. a bloke with the knife, then I'm okay, stabbing. I'm okay with supermarkets going, you should not, we're not going to sell that knife in our shop. Right. <laughs> and, and, and GitHub would be kind of the same about this. Yeah. You know, as I say, yeah, I, I I'm in that. two minds about this, but. On the one hand, I do value the, the, the idea Stuart that... The Stuart-Ian language of 10 years ago would I know. literally, legitimately <laughs> choke the Stuart-Ian language of today. I know, isn't it murderous? I know. It's just the worst. He sold out quicker than the iPhone. <laughs> but I'm um, sold quicker than Metallica is how I heard it. Um, but, <laughs> but, but, I mean, I... We had a discussion um, a, a few shows ago about how... Uh, Jeremy and I certainly, at least, and I think all three of us, looked at the internet as joining people together and making this fantastic world where everyone could communicate and it was all brilliant. And we didn't predict any of the horrible things that it's become. <laughs> and we did. It was it was the Pollyannish tech problem uh, yes. segment. And there's quite yeah. a lot of regret 
in yes. my head about that. And, sure. and there's kind of a similar mindset I've got here that, yes, I like the idea that, um, companies who publish stuff on the web that, that was written by someone else have the, I'm just going to hold up my hands and say, no, we're just common carriers. We're, um, we're not responsible for any of this content. We just host it for someone else. Nothing to do with us. But equally, the me of 10 years ago would have said that's an unalloyed good that that rule exists. And now I think, you know what? Maybe it's a bit more nuanced than that. And maybe I'm less cool about the idea that people can say nothing to do with us. We're just, we're, we're just publishing it for someone else. You've got to complain against the people who posted it to our servers. We've got no duty of care about this while you, while YouTube shovels QAnon videos at people, which they've just recently apparently said they're going to crack down on. But that's exactly the point. YouTube cracking down yep. on QAnon videos is that sort of thing I think is okay. And that the me of 10 years ago would have gone, no, man, freeze page. And it's just really annoying. <laughs> can, can we do a progression of Sill episode? That'd be, <laughs> that'd be brilliant. Can someone go and snip snip like little bits of his previous discussions together? Stuff out of love radio. Way, <laughs> I, uh, I, I went, you know, I didn't heard a lot about QAnon. I went down the rabbit hole of like looking into it. Wow. That shit is crazy. It is. I'm glad they're cracking down. This is the point. Um, you know, the, what I always think about is the example of what you're talking about, Ak, here is, is it's the anarchist cookbook or the Jolly Rogers cookbook. Yeah. For, wow. for our younger listeners, you, you probably won't have heard this, but it was a book that was put together back in the seventies with like, how to make bombs and how to screw with McDonald's employees and, uh, and how to make making drugs and <laughs> which, yeah. which wasn't real. All, <laughs> all of these like kind of just ways to basically get get into mischief. And it was written by a guy called William Powell who who published it and um and then a number of years later felt an enormous amount of regret for doing it because, you know, there were some things from that book that were used in some pretty nasty situations. So yeah, there is this kind of there's an academic definition of freedom, right? And we all we're all in favor of that, but then there's the reality, and it it gets interesting. So, um, I think we're about time. I think we're yeah. actually over time. We are. So we should wrap this up. A little disappointing because there are multiple interesting things still in in the dock here, but we will get to those in a future show. We will. We will <laughs> do. We will do. Um, discourse or something. I don't know. Nice, nice. Well, uh, boys and girls, go and uh, let us know what you think on Slack. We've covered a lot of ground today. We would love to hear your thoughts and perspectives and opinions and criticisms about what we talk about on my voltage. Actually, maybe in the thread for the show, we can follow up with one or two of these. We can Maybe we each post one of the ones that's remaining and we can have the conversation there. That's good. Oh, that's idea. an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah, let's do that. Yeah. Cool. Sounds okay. good. All right. Cheers, people. Please, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>